to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Connecting you with experts and trendsetters who are leading innovation in law enforcement, private security, and personal protection. And now, your host, Adam Wills. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 11 of the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Today, I'm going to be speaking with a really good friend of mine, Carrie Plemons. Uh, Carrie Plemons, uh, we decided in the episode, is the co-founder of the Public Safety Leadership Program at the University of Denver, Daniels College of Business. Now, if you're listening to this and going, okay, so what does that matter to me? I'm not in Colorado. Well, I want you to stick around and listen to the show because we're going to talk about what makes the public safety leadership program so innovative as a leadership training program. And more importantly, we are going to talk to Kerry about his mission and desire to take this program and model it for other universities around the country and other law enforcement agencies that wish to host it alongside their local university. And so his goal is to essentially package it up, give it away and share with you what they do in the public safety leadership program that is so different and innovative that is helping to create leaders, not just that are, are better leaders in the public safety environment, but more specifically creating a holistic leader, a leader who is a leader in their home and their community as well. And we'll talk a bit about how that mentality affects leadership within your organization. So this is a really exciting episode for me. Um, this holds a very close place in my heart because I went through the public safety leadership program several years back and it profoundly affected and changed me as a person. And I'm so excited to share with you not only what the public safety leadership program is all about, but some details about my own experience in going through that course and how it opened my mind and affected me as a leader. So with that, let's go ahead and get started with my interview with Carrie Plemons from the Public Safety Leadership Program. Well, Carrie, welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. It's great to have you on. What an honor. I love public safety and I love innovation. Well, we are talking today about something that uh, is truly innovative, at least in my opinion. Carrie, you you and your team at DU with the Public Safety Leadership Program really have a special place in my heart. And I, I thought about you as soon as I started this podcast. I, I thought, I got to have Carrie Plemons come on the show. What an honor, Adam. What an honor. Brings us back to our eastern Colorado roots together. But uh, I'm really grateful for those kind words and honored by this opportunity. Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned today, we're going to talk about the public safety leadership program that uh, you facilitate or direct. I mean, what is your, what is your official title? Are you director facilitator? What's or something else? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not so sure. We're going to make that up on the show right now. <laughs> We've never, uh, yeah, I'm going to, de- I'm going to make up a term. Sure. I'll be the uh, assistant director. How's that? Uh, you know, here, here's probably the better answer. I'm a professor, so we don't use that, those kind of titles. But I'm the, let's call me the co-founder, the co-creator, along with a guy named George Heinrichs that uh, used to be the CEO of Entrado. We created this public safety leadership to solve a problem, to, to really think about what might be going on in the public safety arena and what might need to be addressed. Yeah, so l- let's talk about that problem. I mean, you personally just have a... Uh, heart and desire for creating solid leaders and bringing up people in their leadership role and developing leaders. Uh, and, and that's essentially what the public safety leadership program was set out to do. Is that correct? 100%. You know, we, we set out to, to think about it. this is George Heinrich's vision, but George's vision, and we co-created this after he kind of presented the vision to us, but, but he, his vision was to create a better leadership style, knowing that that every cop, firefighter, EMT in the world goes through lots and lots of training 
but very rarely do they get training around things like emotional intelligence and how to be a, a whole person, not just a cop or a firefighter. And that, that whole person, that mind, body, heart, spirit that we really want to think about is, uh, is I think, what makes up a great leader. And, and we can delve into the depth there, but uh, that's it really was addressing this idea that, you know, firefighters get tons of training on how to drive a truck and pull a hose, but very little about how to build the capacity of their successors. In fact, how to build their succession and their, their successors and their succession plan at all. Yeah, agreed. And I think that's something that's really, truly unique about the program that you guys have is you're not just teaching law enforcement, which is part of the reason why you call it the public safety leadership program um, to kind of cast that that wider net. I've been through during my career in law enforcement, I had been through several different leadership programs, if you will, or leadership trainings and uh, university level courses and things like that. And this was something that was truly different. And I thought it was kind of neat to be able to learn alongside, you know, firefighters and it was a unique learning environment because we're so used to in law enforcement specifically, when we go, especially to leadership training, we're sitting next to other law enforcement leaders, right? And we can often use that as an excuse to stay stuck in the, our own boxes that we've created for ourselves in our, our way of thinking. And the environment there at the public safety leadership program being side by side with people that maybe are in different industries, like as a firefighter, allowed us to really collaborate on ideas and see oh, this is what you guys are doing. There's no reason why we can't apply that to law enforcement. And I just thought that was, among many other things, was something that was truly unique about the program. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, Adam, you're one of those guys that just gets it. But but the get it from the original vision was exactly that. So you're on a scene, you know, Aurora theater shooting, the STEM shooting, the Columbine, pick one, and you're on the scene. And you're on a scene where there's a cop, a firefighter, an EMT, an ambulance, um, sheriffs from different jurisdictions, cops from different jurisdictions, and they are literally and metaphorically not on the same radio. They're just not on the radio. They're not, they're not communicating. And we know the devastating effects of what happens when we're in a, in a public safety emergency and our public safety people are not communicating well. When George and I started building this, it was really about that. How do you get people, you know, somebody that's going to be in Arapahoe County, Adam County, you know, Yuma County, we don't care. But how do you get uh, representatives from fire, police, EMT to come together, dispatch, we've got to have dispatch, and, and really get together so that when you're on the scene, you have camaraderie and you have communication. And whether you're leading on the scene or leading in a briefing room or Hell, leading in the break room, how do you lead and how do you get people to do what needs to be done? And, and I think in the 21st century, there's just huge opportunities for innovation in that leadership component, especially in public safety. Yeah, agreed. Now, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that that I get it. I'm one of the few that get it because I have to admit to you, and this is a really good backstory for those that are listening to understand how this this came to be. But I have to admit that at first I didn't. I, I truly didn't get it. And when I first came across the public safety leadership program, you know, I hadn't even heard really anything about it from anybody. So that social proof wasn't there. I didn't have anybody that told me, hey, I've been through this or I've sent my people through this. And it was phenomenal. I can't really even remember how it came up. I think I saw it in, in a, an email that had a list of training announcements. And at the time, I was really looking for a solid training program, not only for myself to, to continue to grow my own skills as a leader, but also for my command staff and for those in positions of uh, leadership and authority within my agency that I wanted to give them something to help increase their skill set, grow their toolbox. And as I was looking for things, I just found like everything, everything I came across was, was sort of cookie cutter, if you will. Now there's some great leadership training programs out there. I'm not knocking them. And I've been through some of them and, and learned some phenomenal things, but I wanted something different. I wanted something that created 
the whole package and not just dealt with the day-to-day, how do I manage people and how do I direct them to do this task and follow up to make sure that they're actually doing it? And how do I give evaluations and things like that? I wanted to create this, this holistic approach where we were leading not just down to the people that, that we were delegating tasks and, and, and things to our subordinates, but that we were also in the mindset of leading up, that we were leading in all directions and that that would impact how we behaved and acted and treated each other in the office and at home and all of those things. And so when I saw the announcement for this course, I thought, well, that sounds interesting. Maybe, maybe this is something that I ought to give a try to. And before, I don't know, before I really wanted to commit to sending any of my staff to it, I thought I, I need to go first. I need to go and try this out, see what it's all about and evaluate for myself. Is this the appropriate training that I want to have as a uh, prerequisite, if you will, or a, a standard expected training for all of my command staff? And so I signed up for it. And my very first impression, actually, if I'm being honest, Carrie, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I signed up and you know, as part of the sign up process, you, you take the insights discovery test. Right. And, you know, <laughs> now I, I rolled my eyes. I'm almost sure of it. I can, I can almost feel myself being in that place at that time when uh-huh. I was on the website. I, I registered for the course and it says, okay, now we need you to take this online test. And <laughs> I went in there and, and, and took this test. And I've, I've done the Myers Briggs stuff before and DISC and some of those other ones. And, you know, I, I don't know that some of them, I feel like they're a little hokey and I'm not saying those ones in particular, but I just, we're, we're type A in law enforcement, right? We're, yeah. um, we've got time for that soft stuff. Right. Exactly. And that was, that was kind of how I approached it. And I'm like, oh, come on, we're going to take a course about my feelings. Like, I don't, I don't yeah. need to know more. I don't need to know more about myself. I need to know more about what's wrong with everybody else that I can, that I can fix them. Right. And, and I say that half heartedly, it's half serious, half joking, but I took that test and I think it was only like 15 minutes and I was expecting to not get anything out of that test. Right. And then I remember the first day being there at the public safety leadership program and being up in the mountains and in, you know, this remote area with all these other leaders in public safety and, and you guys handed out those booklets that were based upon the test we took. I opened up that booklet and I started to read through it and I went, oh my gosh, this, this is a book about me. Like this, this is my biography. <laughs> and I read that and I thought, how did that, how did that silly little 15 minute test that I took online actually draw out this stuff about me that I had to admit was true. And some of it wasn't comfortable. Some of it was, some of it felt good. It was like, yeah, that is true. I'm a go-getter and I get things done and I follow through when I say I'm going to do something. But then there were other things that it drew out that I had to admit were true about my my failure and how I communicate with people and received communication. That set the tone for me day one that I was like, I had to recognize that these things were true and it became a hurdle that I had to overcome while I was there to find a better way. And so, yes, you say I get it, but I didn't. I didn't early on, just to be <laughs> transparent. Well, you know, you do get it because you took that risk to drive a couple hundred miles to go up in the mountains of the nature place, Forest in Colorado, and expose your vulnerabilities and say, you know what, I do have something to learn. The people who show up and have that, that vulnerability, I am not the best. I, gotta, I have an opportunity to improve. I have an opportunity to be a better leader. And, and I, you know, that's what we're looking, we're looking for. And even if you come, you know, come on, you guys are cops. You show up cynical. You're supposed to, you're supposed to show up cynical. We embrace the cynical. That's okay. And we embrace the idea that if you're a little bit cynical with an open mind, you might come out on the other side with some great new tools. And, uh, you know, the insights discovery system is the foundation because it's all about self-awareness. We call it the operating manual. Give it to your spouse, give it to your, commander and say, this is the operating manual about how to deal with Adam Wills. It kind of is an operating manual. And by the way, I probably shouldn't tell you, but Adam, we followed you around for about two months and then and then pretended that, that you took that, that survey. 
So, you know, we had you on, on video and body cams. We were listening to you. Now, that's a lie. We, uh, it's, it, it's really interesting. I was pretty sure you talked to my wife and yeah. my ex-wife. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all of them and your high school coach and all. Your, yeah. All, yeah, we did it all. No, we don't do yeah. anything. It's, it's really a, a, a 21st century device uh, that you answer these questions. You force rank a bunch of preferences and, and it ends up. This is this is who you are, and you get a twenty-page sort of operating manual. But but the but the most important part of that, back up a little bit, two important parts maybe, is that we really need that mirror. We don't know how other people see us. We need a. We presume to know how our our colleagues, our friends, our our spouses might see us. But you need a mirror before you really. And you know that we all heard. You know the first time you hear your voice played back to you. It's very disturbing. The first time you see yourself on a video cam, it's disturbing. Well, this is kind of that, oh, hmm, peel back the onion. This is what you look like to the people around you. And it becomes sort of a 360 view. The second part of that is that we really believe that if you embrace, you know, that's one of them, but some of these leadership, emotional intelligence, self-awareness tools, you start using common language with your colleagues. And so you talk about leading and, and, and taking it back. You were the, the, the point of the spear, but then you took it back and invited other of your colleagues to go through the same program. Then you come back. What really accelerates the success of this kind of leadership is when your whole team starts using the same language. And you're using the language around insights discovery system and the kinds of energy we're bringing and and the kind of trust we're building and the collaboration that we are driving. And, and you start talking about a variety of sort of day-to-day tasks from a common language point of view. It just, it really accelerates success. Yeah. And I like how you referred to that insights discovery as the operations manual, because it really is. And I, I actually remember, I have a very distinct memory of coming home after those, that first uh, few days up at the uh, nature place. And I handed that to my wife and I said, you want to know how to communicate with me and how I could like, this is how you understand me. Like, <laughs> Read that. Like I wanted her to read it. It was exciting to me to share it with her because there was, there were some vulnerabilities in that, but it was exciting to me to be able to finally say, okay, now I could put words and explanation to who I am and how I communicate and receive communication. And and you're right, it is a look in the mirror. It's not anything that we don't already know about ourselves, which is why when I first opened it and looked at it, I said, oh my gosh, this is a book about me, right? And I, it's something we already know, but without the the evidence of it or without the the concrete description of it, that right is right in front of us. It's hard for us to recognize exactly how those things are impacting how we lead and how to correct them. And so I think it truly is an operator's manual and it works very well in that way. And, um, you know, you mentioned I, I led that, you know, I was the first one to go for my agency, but we, after I came back, made it mandatory for all of our command staff Good. to go to the public safety leadership program. And, uh, you can probably recall some of the people that we sent and we won't, we won't name names, but I had one sergeant in particular who we would joke around and refer to him sometimes as Eeyore. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and that was, yeah, we know who you're talking about. That was exactly his response when I told him, I said, you're going to go to this. And, it was this, oh, this is so dumb. I'm not going to get anything out of this. I guess I'll just go hang out in the mountains for a few days. And, and I talked to him a couple of times. And when he came back after that three days, his attitude about it was completely changed. Yeah. And the public safety leadership program allowed us to, truthfully, it, it transformed our agency because we were all speaking the same language. Like you mentioned, we were we were talking the same way and we were recognizing each other as, oh, this is your profile. Now I know how I need to communicate with you and I know how you're going to receive communication from me. And so it it really it allowed us to transform how we led both up and down. Yeah, that's the key right there too. And I just sort of add on to that, Adam, the, uh, the whole point of that, the process, not, not just the three, the insights discovery tool, but but the, the process is we, and I think in the 21st century, wonderful op- opportunity to innovate around how we lead 
a person, a whole person. And we used to, you know, when you're uh, the old good old copy, old good old firefighter, hey, just just buck it up, just rub some dirt on it, you'll be fine. And our uh, the leader was a command and control, sort of a 20th century military style, the 21st century. That's just not going to work. There's a huge opportunity in public safety. We have got to attract the A people, A, A players in the public safety. And we need to attract people who know that they will be embraced by leaders who see them as a whole person. In the old days, we saw you as a, as a tool, a, a cop on the street, a beat cop, a patrol sergeant, a detention, you know, and, and you were a tool in the 20th century, in the 21st century. We have to lead the whole person. We have to lead them knowing that they've got family, they've got kids, they've got desires, they've got emotions, they've got, you know, a heart, mind, body, and spirit. And we got to think about as we create these leadership opportunities, how you as a, as a commander have to get past just leading from the command point of view to leading the whole person. They've got a family. They got kids. They got stress with COVID. They've got, you know, fill in the blank stress. And we will be so much more successful, I believe, in community safety and public safety, the premise of this whole thing, when we as leaders address that whole person leadership program. We gotta we gotta worry about their kids. We gotta worry about their families. I gotta tell you the truth, it didn't happen. Maybe it happened in Mayberry, but it did sure as heck didn't happen in Denver, Colorado. Um, we need to figure out how to address the whole person and how to lead that whole person. Yeah. And you draw out a really, really good point there about what's so powerful about the public safety leadership program is it really is about the the whole person. And, you know, I, I remember when I first started in law enforcement, you know, there was sort of this saying, if you will, and I'm sure this will resonate with a lot of people that it's that you leave home at home when you come to work, just deal with work. Well, that that sounds good in theory, but it doesn't work in practice, right? If your marriage is on the rocks at home, you're taking that to work with you, regardless of how focused you are on your work. You're bringing it to work with you. If if you're facing other challenges financially or or whatever it may be, that stuff comes to work with you, and it affects not it affects not maybe infects was actually the right word there. Yeah, um, sure does. I, I corrected myself from infects to effects, but I think those both work there. But it, it causes other challenges to occur in the work environment, whether that's how you relate to the, the public or um, how you lead those around you. And that was a big, big reason why I wanted to have you on the show. And I think people at this point, maybe, you know, we're, we're 20 minutes in, maybe people are wondering, well, why am I listening to the show? Why do we have this show? Because this is a public safety leadership program that's just in Colorado. So why does it matter to me if I'm in Delaware, Connecticut, California, Texas, right? And and the reason for that is because this training that I went through, it absolutely transformed me, not just as a leader, but it transformed who I am as a, a leader in my home life, with my wife, with my children, in my community, in my church. It absolutely transformed who I am even outside of my law enforcement career. And what I wanted to help you draw out today was your desire or, or intentions, if you will, to grow this program so that other universities uh, or, or law enforcement agencies can adopt this program and facilitate it in their region, their state, and be able to do what you guys are doing with the public safety leadership program. Is that right? Absolutely. hundred percent. You know, there's the program that we have built, a lot of collaboration, a lot of smart people like you, we, we've been innovating and developing and pivoting every year, in, including this year with COVID. But our goal is to go outside the state of Colorado. And we, we've made some inroads there, but not successful inroads. I will say this flat out. We will give this program away. We're not. I'm not looking for royalties. We're not looking for, for you know. You don't need to pay uh, Carrie Plums or the University of Denver. Our goal is to get this into as many communities around the United States of America as possible. And you know, if I can, if I can work with somebody in Texas or New Mexico or Pennsylvania and help them understand the value of taking this into their university, their community, their you know, we, we're working a lot with post, you know, peace officers, safety training 
and we are fully post certified. We're part of the post process. That is helping us, I think, to leverage outside the state of Colorado. We're very eager to adopt any partner at no cost to uh, help you, help anybody outside the state of Colorado launch a, a similar program. Nothing proprietary, uh, no royalties required. Let's just go make the world a better place. So let's talk then about how do you guys accomplish this transformation? Let's talk about the structure of the program and what that looks like. How do you meet that end result? Beautiful. So, you know, we, 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 we expect people to show up. We do a three, it starts with a three day offsite and we do a three day offsite to get you to get the cops, firefighters, EMTs to be present, be present, really, really just relax, take permission not to, to take the call and run down the nine eleven and, and, and just to absolutely be present. And it's really tough for type A's to do this. That's why we do it for three days. When we first started it, it, we did it for two days, one night and two days. Now we do it with three days and two nights away so that people will actually just chill out, reflect, sit under a tree and think about what it is that they might do better. And we, we put them through. And the reason that we it's, it's called experiential education in the 21st century, but the experiential ed says, good research on this, but basically says, that you can talk about leadership all day long in a classroom really doesn't move the needle on anybody. What moves the needle is taking a risk, failing, building the self-confidence to get back up and succeed. We do this in a safe environment, and the whole program is based on the idea you got to get away from the briefing room. you got to get away from the, you know, the conference room and get to the nature place or something like the nature place. Get them off-site, turn off the cell phone, Focus on on your ability to grow, your ability to build the capacity of others. So we want you to walk in there, yeah, a little bit of cynicism, walk out with exhilaration that you can have an impact and you can build the capacity and you do it in a 360. Sometimes you're building up your boss, sometimes you're building up your colleagues, and sometimes you're building up your direct reports, but you gotta, you gotta, you, you gotta do this offsite. Let me go back. It starts with self-awareness. This whole program says, I'm going to stand here in the woods and become self-aware. Don't get too crazy. We're not making you do, you know, trust falls or anything here, but you got to become self-aware of how you show up and how, how, how your, 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 uh, your emotional intelligence, your self-awareness stuff shows up in, in, in front of your colleagues and your, your direct reports. So we start with self-awareness. We try to build some self-confidence around that. And then we go to this idea of once you become self-aware, then you can affect a team. Once you affect a team, you can affect a department. Once you affect a department, you can affect a community. But you got to start with yourself. So we really spend those three days building the self-confidence and the self-awareness, very related, the self-confidence and the self-awareness of the individual so they start with who they are, how they show up. And I, I, I got a metaphor, if I'm not droning on too long here, but here's our metaphor. You know, if, if you want to build a new muscle, any muscle, you've got to micro tear the existing muscle. doesn't mean you break the muscle apart. You just make micro tears, whether you're lifting weights or, you know, your first day on a bicycle or a pair of skis or a back of a horse. The reason your muscles are sore the second day is because you had created micro tears into the existing muscles. Leadership is a muscle. Leadership is the muscle between your brain and your heart, your heart and your spirit. And leadership for us to grow requires us to make micro tears to our previous assumptions, previous habits. Boy, that's hard. It's so hard for people to, to change a habit. This is the way I've always addressed my troops. This is the way I've always interacted with the community. Well, guess what? Maybe that's not working as well as you think it is. And so get them up, self-aware, build some self-confidence. But we ask every single person, you did it. You have to, you have to do some homework. You got to go sit under a tree and say, this is what I'm going to stop doing. And this is what I'm going to do better. And we use blue ocean leadership and a few other concepts. We help you build your own personal mission statement. And then we bring you back to Denver and say, let's spend two more days going from the cell to how are you going to take your department from good to great? What are you going to do? How are you going to use leadership tools, strategic tools 
to take your department from good to great. So now that you've kind of fixed yourself, let's go see if we can do a better job of creating more successful strategies and more successful leadership opportunities inside my department. It's so much fun. But usually, you know, you, people show up with apprehension, leave with exhilaration. By the way, it's also fun with a purpose. We have a lot of fun. And a lot of the fun that happens, happens sort of after hours. So they've been working and in the classroom yeah. and then lifting weights and going outside and doing stuff. And then guess what? We, we have dinner. And what's better than having dinner with a bunch of cops and firefighters and, and talking about camaraderie? They, they end up and I, they, they, they end up getting so much from the collegiality of meeting a cop and a firefighter and a sheriff or an EMT in a different context. And then they, they, the collegiality that sort of happens, you know, while you're breaking bread, we, we play some games and we do some vulnerability exercises and, you know, you remember this stuff, but then we ask you to do the homework. What are you going to do differently? What are you going to change? How are you going to grow? And, and then who are you going to create as a success partner? Cause you walked away, Adam, with a lot of new friends from all over yeah. the Colorado. So I love the analogy that you used. Um, you brought back some good memories there. You're talking about some yeah. of the after hours stuff and we, we had tons of fun. I mean, I, I loved it. And I think my cohort, we had the best, we had the best cohort I'm sure out of anybody because wow. we had the amazing, my good friend, Vinny Montez from the Boulder <laughs> County Sheriff's Office, the, uh, the comedian cop. And, uh, he is hilarious. And he gave us, I remember sitting around the fire, uh, one night that not outside, but, uh, fireplace down in the, right. uh, the basement of the nature uh, place. And we, we sat around and everybody had their drinks of choice and just hanging out, having a good time. And Vinny put on a full comedy show for us. And, it was it was a blast. It was so much fun. Hey everybody, just me popping in here for a quick break. I want to thank you first of all for listening to the show. It's because of faithful listeners like you that we have now far exceeded over 4,000 downloads of the show and that we're able to bring in really awesome guests on the show. So I'd like to ask you to please share this show with your friends. And most importantly, please go and leave a review wherever it is that you listen to the Public Safety Innovators podcast. Those reviews help all of those different podcast directories, algorithms to display this show to other people like you that may be interested in listening to it. So please go ahead and head over to psi.chat forward slash review. And I've made it super easy there for you to leave a review on iTunes, Podchaser, and Stitcher. So please head over to psi.chat forward slash review. And then let's go ahead and dive back into the show. It makes me laugh just to think about that. I was actually working with Vinny not too long ago in Boulder Sheriff's Department, and they're, you know, they're they're going through some innovation right now because a lot of the, like people like Vinny, they're working from home as a commander, and they're not seeing their team. So how do you lead remotely? Boy, huge opportunity for innovation there, huh? Yeah, yeah, and I, I want to talk about that here in a minute, I, but I want to before we get too far into that, I want to still touch on a couple of the things that you talked about right. in your response here because. There, there's there's a lot to unpack there. And I, I want to talk about, I guess, how you guys take people through. You, you, you talked about this process of self-awareness and then self-confidence. And I want to talk a little bit about the activities you guys do to to draw some of that out. And and I guess I'll, I'll, sh- I'll share one of them that still had a profound impact on me because you, you mentioned about how you partner people up, right? And the friends that you make. Well, I, I'm not only did I shout out there to Vinny Montez, but I'm still really good friends with Mark Coughlin, which was sure. the guy that y- you guys set me up with as kind of my partner throughout the course. And he was coming out of Parks and Wildlife. Now he's up in Larimer County Parks. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And him and I go hunting. He's actually coming out in a couple of weeks for uh, pheasant season here. And um, hey, it was, it was, yeah, hey, you're welcome. Come on out. <laughs> yep, absolutely. 
But uh, it was interesting because that first night we got there, you know, I'm a, at that time, I'm, I'm an administrator and I'm used to when I travel on business, I get to have my own hotel room, you know? <laughs> and so I was a, a little spoiled and I get there and, you know, at the very least I should be able to pick my bunk mate if I have to share. Right. But then you, I get there and you guys say, okay, here's your room and here's your bunk mate. Here's your roommate. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know this guy in these rooms there. There's not, you know, it's not a suite where you share a little kitchen and you have separate bedrooms. Your beds are in the same room and you are sharing everything. You're sharing the shower and the bathroom and the little kitchenette. And <laughs> not at the same time. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be awkward. Oh. Um, but you know, it, it was this comfort thing and, and I'm a real, rather sociable person. I like to talk to people and get to know people, but just getting thrown into this room with somebody like, I don't know if I'm going to like this guy. I don't know right. if we're going to click or not. And that was part of your guys intentional purpose and plan to not only draw out that self-awareness, but build that self-confidence. And so tell me more about that and some of the other things that you guys do as part of the program to meet that goal. Yeah. Dirty little secret. You're going to learn more from your colleagues than you do from the professor. And, and it's, a, it's, it's problematic with online and COVID right now, but it's not impossible. But, but what we intentionally do is make sure that you bump into people. You take a break and you have lunch and you go for a walk and you have a roommate. And maybe you, you know, your inner introvert says, boy, sure would be good to just go back to my own room and call my wife. But you got a roommate. And so you sit on a patio and watch the sunset over Pikes Peak and you have conversations and maybe it's about public safety. Maybe it's about leadership, maybe and more often than not, probably about common issues facing cops, firefighters and sheriffs. So you're having these conversations and so you are inadvertently, kind of inadvertently, learning as much from your colleagues as you ever will learn in a classroom. We know that's true. We know that what happens in the classroom, whether it's at the university or at the police academy, or the FBI academy, you're going to learn just as much outside the classroom as inside. And we have to create those somewhat artificial opportunities. By the way, what we're trying to do is create artificial stress so that your true self comes out. It's artificial stress. Artificial stress so that your true self comes out and you learn from that sort of self-awareness. Whether it's your roommate or at the dinner table or having an adult beverage and watching a stand-up comedian like Vinnie Montes. It's, it's just that holistic approach that can't be duplicated at a, at a conference room in Boulder County. Yeah. And so there's other tactics that you guys take throughout the, the week to try and continue to draw out some of those strengths and weaknesses and build on that. You bet. Um, are, are you able to talk about that at all? I can, I can tell you, you know, I mean, there's no secrets here. We're, we'd love to share this with everybody, but yeah, you bet. So again, it's the experiential learning. So here's the metaphor we use, and then I'll give you a couple of the, the tools we, we apply. But the metaphor goes like this. If you're a, an athlete, high school athlete, a division one soccer player, hockey player, you literally spend a thousand to one practice versus perform a thousand to one. So, you know, think about a hockey player, a soccer player, you, you know, you're lifting weights and running and watching films and listening to the coach and taking summer camps and doing a, a whole bunch of practice in order to perform at your best when you're on the ice or on the field. When you're a cop, you go through a little training, but it's instead of a thousand to one practice perform, it's, it's one to a thousand practice, perform practice. And so what we're trying to do is sort of even those odds a little bit. We take you up to the next place. We do a th something called orienteering. And the orienteering says a group of people with good old-fashioned maps and compass, we take away your GPS and we say, you got to go find somewhat competitively. You got to go find these points in a certain amount of time with a team. And you got to learn how to read a map, lead a team, discuss, collaborate, brainstorm. And so we apply the, the insights discovery system and then you go outside and you have to solve a problem as a team. And it might be a, you know, a nuclear disaster or a bridge, been, bridge has been metaphorically taken out, but we're putting you into these artificial stress situations so that you're not performing like you do at work. 
you're practicing in order to when they go back to work, you perform better. Everybody knows that if you really want to play at the A level, you got to practice before you perform. When you guys graduate from the academy and go on the street, most of you get very, very little opportunities to practice, especially leadership stuff. I mean, you practice, you know, weapons and you practice, you know, fire drill type activities, but but you don't practice leadership. Just like any other muscle, you got to practice. You got to lift it. You got to warm it up. You got to exercise it. You got to try stuff that didn't work in order to find stuff that did work. And if whether you're skiing or snowboarding or riding a bicycle, you're going to have to fall down. Well, we take you up to the nature place, put you out in the outdoors and artificially make you fall down. We know that you learn from a little bit of failure. I learned this from last time I was up at the Nature Place from a cop from Springfield. Fail is not fail. Fail is first opportunity in learning. Everything that I've ever learned happened because I screwed up. First opportunity, first attempt in learning. And then I got up. I self-rescued, built my self-confidence and went and fixed something. We don't do that enough when you're just running running calls. We got to figure out how to take time, reflect, fail, get up, dust yourself off, fix it, and learn from it. That's that's how you learn to ski or snowboard and ride a biker. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean there those are fundamental principles that really are applied to learning any new skill, regardless right. of what it is. Right. Well, you know, I it's been almost five or six years now since I went through the public safety leadership program. And while what you guys are teaching is, is certainly evergreen, if you will, the principles uh, still apply there. There's, there's nothing that changes about how human beings work and interact and, and collaborate and communicate with each other. But obviously the current day presents some new challenges and I'm sure that you guys are seeing those challenges as people are coming through the program now to this current day. Uh, you talked about that just a minute ago before I, I pulled you off that line of discussion about the Boulder County Sheriff's Office and how they've got command staff that aren't even coming into the office right now because of COVID. And so I'd, I'd like to hear more about that and whatever other, you know, what are some of the other challenges today that exist uh, that are kind of new in the last uh, year or five years that uh, you've seen? come through the program and how do you guys are addressing that? Sure. I mean, you know, you, there's lots of really wonderful innovations in the technical aspects of being a cop or a firefighter, you know, body cams, new ways of communication, laptops in the cars, iPads in the cars. You know, there's so many of those sort of new technical devices. Well, the output of those technical devices is more social distancing, even before COVID. So even before COVID, we were probably practicing more social distancing because of technology, not a good thing or a bad thing, just a thing. So over the last, you know, especially over the last nine months in the COVID crisis, there are opportunities to figure out how to proactively bump into your colleagues, even though that proactive bump may be on a Zoom or a Microsoft Teams. We don't, we don't teach that. No, no one's been teaching that because we didn't expect it. But the world has moved to tech and we stare at screens and we, we, we don't even call people anymore. We're afraid to pick up the phone. You know, people have just gotten into the text and email and, and all the other forms of electronic communication so that we have sort of stopped talking to people. You know, there's a, there's sort of a, a feedback desert. So now COVID, we got masks on. I can't read your, I, I can't, are you, are you smiling or frowning at me right now? And I can't tell you got a mask on. And, and, and I'm not even going to see you because I'm going to, I'm going to be doing a briefing off Zoom. Well, we have got to lead through electronic devices now. Not good or bad. We got to learn how to do it better, especially with Generation Z millennials. We as, as leaders, command staff have to figure out how to, again, lead the whole person. But I believe more than anything else, we got to start with empathy. Start with empathy. So I'm talking to a phone. I'm talking to a microphone. I'm talking to a camera. I'm text messaging. Before I hit send, ooh, stop, think, reflect. What's on the other end? Who's on the other end? What's their whole person? How are they going to receive this message, this, this spiral pass that I'm trying to throw? How often are those spiral passes not even caught because people are in a whole different mind frame 
from the center. So we're teaching and working and, and truthfully learning and developing ourselves new tools to proactively bump into people, proactively have side conversations where you used to build trust by having a cup of coffee and a donut in the break room or taking a break in a patrol car and running into one of your buddies. That's the, you know, not happening. We got, we got mass on. We got, so we got to proactively as leaders get into the idea. I got to find that opportunity to have a cup of coffee and a donut with my buddy, even if we're not going to actually have a cup of coffee and a donut. And, and people like Google and some of these big companies are creating the, what used to be called the Google bump, where you bumped into each people, each other in the, in the cafeteria. Now you got to figure out how to proactively bump into them somewhere electronically. It's not the world's greatest, but it is reality. We're, we're going to lose contact if we don't find a way to emotionally intelligent and empathetically connect to our teams through electronic devices. There, there's an interesting thread to pull on there uh, as you drew it out because COVID may be a temporary thing, right? I mean, at least we hope. <laughs> We're hoping, I'm hoping that mask wearing in public isn't the new norm for the rest of our lives. Um, I, I, but anyway, assuming COVID is a temporary thing, the impact from it is not, right? And like you said, I mean, we, we were already experiencing some social distancing, if you will, through uh, technology, even before COVID. But now, because COVID has required a lot of people in a lot of industries across the world to incorporate greater technology, and more technology for communicating with each other, that's not going to go away. Like if COVID was completely eradicated tomorrow and we could take the masks off, the rest of our lives are not just going to go back to the way they were. We've adopted these new, these new day-to-day habits that are going to stay with us. And so the, the need to transform and mold and adjust to that new way of, of leading is, is going to be there. It's prevalent and it's something that has to be, studied and taught and right. and adapted into what we're already doing and what we know. Yep. And and we know, I mean, even before COVID, that we are socially distancing because of electronic devices. We used to go to church and play and meet at the bowling alley and have, we, we used to have ice cream socials. Well, we, we really don't, you know, this has been out, this is not new, but, but it's probably not. And, and you look at the depression suicide rate amongst youngsters, teenagers, especially. And there's a direct correlation between screen time and depression. New data coming out very recently, what the Internet's doing to our brain. And I'm not, that's not, I'm not criticizing and say throw away your cell phone. As leaders, we have to lead knowing that that screen time is not building social connections. And guess what? Maslow's hierarchy from many years ago, the human spirit needs social connections. We need bonds. And we need those opportunities to find a way to get in the same physical proximity and talk to people. We're social distancing in part because of electronic devices that have allowed us to do so. Good or bad, doesn't matter. The future is we got to live with it and figure out how to innovate and create leadership opportunities in in the face of, of uh, electronic devices. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's probably clear to everybody listening at this point that you are certainly at the very least a subject matter expert in this topic and what you're discussing, if not uh, one of the great authorities, at least in in my opinion. And so I, I guess I want to draw out and share with everybody a little bit about how you came to be so passionate about leadership. What led you to where you are today? Where'd you get your background in growing and training and developing leaders? Well, that's a that's a kind question, but I'll tell you. Um, uh, I think I I think I got here in a very circuitous manner. Um, probably started with that Andy Mayberry and, and how you know the uh, Andy Griffith show influenced me. And I, I, you, that's that's a you think that's a silly statement, but I loved it. I, I love the way Sheriff. Andy Taylor conducted public safety in, in uh, Maybury, North Carolina. That was when I was a kid. 
I love that show. We watch that show all the time with my kids. I know, it's weird. But, you know, these things impact us. But I grew up in, in Andy and Mayberry town. I grew up in eastern Colorado like you did. And, and I, you know, my, my route went through the University of Colorado, and I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I graduated, and, and I opened a bunch of small businesses, uh, mildly successfully, not always good. Because here's the, the part that really should you should hang on to this one. I was a miserable boss. I was a horrible boss. I was a jerk. I was a type A, do as I say, get it done, micromanager. You give me all the descriptions of a 20th century boss, that was me. I was the guy that's it's not good enough, you're not good enough, and, and, and I drove people crazy. And I literally had an epiphany one day. I was running one of my little restaurants. I wasn't running it. I had hired a manager from Australia, a woman named Deb, that, that uh, I'll tell you about. But I walk in, and I'm doing the jerk micromanager. My my manager reported to me, she, I, she, you know, I was her boss. She literally grabbed me by the scruff of the neck, walked me out into the alley, put me up against my own dumpster dumpster and said, Clemens, you're <laughs> a jerk. Get out of here. The more you are in this restaurant, the worse it runs. Go open another one. And literally, I sort of, you know, was taken aback and said, well, I got to fire this person. And um, but I but I, I said to this and I love this line, you know, when you get feedback, don't get defensive, get curious. I mean, I got defensive, but then I got curious. Okay, wait a minute. So I could be more effective if I stopped being a jackass. And then Deb, who's going to stay with me this uh, day after tomorrow, uh, driving down from Aspen, Colorado to stay with me, one of my best friends, has been for, that was about 40 years ago, literally. She saved my life. She saved my life because somebody had the guts to tell me I was a failure at leadership. Okay, Fast forward, I started becoming a sort of a student of leadership, read everything I could, you know, went back to grad school, school, studied leadership. I, you know, I've probably got 600 books on leadership on the shelf behind me right now, not because any one of them is perfect, but I'm trying to build the opportunity to, to think about it. But I, you know, I went through there, you know, got an MBA, uh, got recruited, went to work for Starbucks, worked for I think the best leaders ever at Starbucks. I'm not promoting Starbucks, but you know, the unbelievably good leaders. Woman named Lonnie Skinner, who was the president of Starbucks, and Howard Schultz, who was the old CEO. And I got to work with these people and see what great, authentic servant leadership looked like. They, they were amazingly good leaders. But then that journey led me back to the University of Denver, and and I took about a 75, 80 percent pay cut one day when I could, and. And uh, started teaching and started building programs like this for the University of Denver. That's awesome. Thanks for for sharing that with us. Um, You know, I think that uh, story can certainly resonate with a lot of people. You know, it's easy to assume that when you hear a guy like you that's talking about leadership and everything you know about it, everything you know about developing leaders, that somehow this was some sort of skill you were just born with and you're a natural at it. And that's why you're teaching other people and growing leaders. But that's certainly a way of, of declaring to everybody that you're just a real human being. And uh, often many of us, we learn via the school of hard knocks, yeah. you know, and uh, <laughs> it's it's nice to know that you're human and uh, that your uh, realization came to you much in the same way a lot of ours are probably either will come, have come to us, right? right. So. Um, I think I've had a lot of those same realizations in in my career and my personal life. Uh, I'm certainly glad that I was able to connect with with you and, and your staff there and, and, and attend to the public safety leadership program. It was a huge change in my life. Uh, now, I have to I've got to correct you on something, by the way, Carrie. Sure. Yes, sir. You made a statement there that I grew up in eastern Colorado. Now, I love I love eastern Colorado here in my home. Don't get me wrong. I did not grow up here. <laughs> My wife grew up here, which is why we're here. Yeah. I actually grew up in Rochester, New York, and that's where I started my my law enforcement career uh, before coming out to Colorado. So I think I knew that, and I forgot about it. Yeah, I just assumed you're. That's okay. <laughs> you're a human boy. I, did, I didn't expect you to remember. You know, that's all right. Yeah. Well, what else? Uh, anything else you wanted to cover that that we haven't done so so far? Yeah, I want to express my extraordinary gratitude to the people on the front lines of public safety. And I know that right now may be the toughest time to be in public safety. And I am so grateful that those people who are in public safety have the courage, the will, 
the honor, the dedication to continue on their career path. I would l- love to do anything at all to repay the, the kindness that I see from cops, firefighters, and sheriffs on a daily basis. If there's ever anything I could do for any of you guys out there in public safety, man, call me up. Adam's got the phone number. I will, I will absolutely answer your call because I feel the citizens of the United States need to wake up every morning grateful for the people who are putting their lives on the line, their lives and their livelihood on the line every single day to make our community so wonderful and really so safe. I mean, I, I love the, the, the way I feel about my community and my safety in the city of Denver and the state of Colorado. I feel like I am blessed in part because of cops, because of sheriffs, because of firefighters. I sleep well at night knowing you guys are not sleeping well at night. Sorry, but I'm grateful. I want to start, always start with gratitude, always end with gratitude. I'm really grateful for you, Adam. I'm really grateful for this opportunity to to, to spread a little bit of message of, of hopefully hope and goodwill. But I'm so grateful for, for everything that you're doing to, to help innovate the public safety program. Yeah, thanks for, for making that statement, too. I, I would uh, second what you had to say about the, the men and women that are currently working in, in public safety and, and my appreciation for them, you know, that I, I've been out for uh, about two years now myself. I certainly miss it, but uh, I feel bad for <laughs> the current circumstances that everybody's having to face. It's really yeah. uh, not an ideal environment. And I'm sure it's taken a lot of the fun out of it. I, I loved being yeah. a cop. It was just a lot. Of, it was a lot of fun. Of course it came with its challenges, right? It's 99% uh, boredom with 1% sheer terror. Uh, <laughs> but, but uh, at least that's, that's how I used to refer to it. And it's probably uh, that those percentages have probably changed quite a bit here just in this last year. And that takes a toll on people. Yeah. And uh, if, if nothing else, you know, it's, it's good for, for them to hear that, there's people that still support them because I think, unfortunately, there's a narrative out there that would try to suggest that that's not true anymore. And uh, I just don't believe that it is. Yeah, you and me both. I love my cops. I love my buds. Well, can you share with everybody that's listening, whether they just want to connect with you to talk about leadership or whatever it may be, or maybe uh, it's an administrator from an organization that's somewhere else in the country other than here in Colorado or another university that wants to connect with you to talk about how they can implement the program that you guys have created there in their area. How did these people connect with you? So best way is Carrie, K-E-R-R-Y dot Plemons, P-L-E-M-O-N-S at D-U dot E-D-U. DU is Denver University. So it's carry.plemons at uh, du.edu. My phone number, 720-280-7174. Cell phone works really well for me. And is there anywhere online that folks can go, whether that's a website or social media, to learn more about the public safety leadership program? University of Denver, executive education, public safety. And there's a, uh, we have a pretty robust website but, but go to the University of Denver Executive Education, University of Denver Executive Education, and then from there, you'll see public safety as one of the buttons. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'll be sure to link all that stuff in the show notes uh, for this episode so that everybody has it uh, close at hand and uh, can connect to you, reach out to you yeah. uh, really easily. So. Another one makes me happier than to share a little bit of the, of the of the wealth, you know. Let me let me give it away. Let's share it. You know, let's 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 make a bigger impact. Absolutely. Well, Carrie, thanks for being on the show. It was great having you, and of course, thanks to uh, the University of Denver too for uh, letting us talk about them a little bit and and the program that they've got going on there. Uh, that you are the we decided the assistant director of. Is that right? <laughs> I'm, I'm, how about the co-creator of? How's it? Co- co- oh, that's right. Co- co- co-founder, co-creator is what we settled on. Hey, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Kerry. All right. And I'm so good to talk to you, man. Yeah, you too. Awesome show. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out this episode of Public Safety Innovators Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. 
please head over to my website at publicsafetyinnovatorspodcast.com or simply psi.chat where you can check out episode notes and other episodes from the show. While you're there, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or really anywhere else that you prefer to listen to podcasts. I would greatly appreciate if you could help other people find the show by leaving a review wherever it is that you prefer to listen to the show. I'd love to hear from you if you have feedback about the show, a suggestion on a guest, or maybe you're a public safety innovator yourself and would like to be a guest on the show. Please head over to my contact page on the website and you can submit that information there or just email me at adam at psi.chat. All right, I'll catch you on the next episode.